welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by the MT360 Conference. Go conference. Yeah. Uh, this is a really cool conference where we talk about transformative technologies, such as uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, additive manufacturing, automation, both physical and software. So we have a lot of um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, plus uh, robotic automation, and the digital thread. So we have a really cool speaker lineup, and we're talking about new technologies that are penetrating into manufacturing to enhance uh, the productivity and uh, return investment of the companies. I am Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, the Manufacturing Technology Analyst at AMT. Steve, how are you doing today, man? Doing amazing. Yeah? Great lunch. Great lunch. Uh, speaking of lunch, we're in the automation of fat season. That's right. Holiday season's right around us. We had Taco Bell today for lunch. We sure did. I had Cracker Barrel for my birthday lunch, birthday <laughs> dinner, my favorite restaurant in the world. I feel so fat today. Yeah. I don't know if I, uh, I'm going to be able to decorate the Christmas tree this year. No? I'm going to have to get a robot arm to do it for me. <laughs> Can't reach around. <laughs> no way. Uh, the next uh, next month is going to be tough. Plus, I've been sick, so my body's all confused between antibiotics. Oh, and, man. So I apologize to everyone that's listening. I may be, may be coughing on mic. I feel uh, like I took care of that earlier this year. Your sickness? Yeah. You mean last winter? I, or? I, no, 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 no. Like, like a couple months ago, oh, I got yeah, really yeah. sick. Sure. And then, I, I don't know, man. I'm just used to it now. Yeah. I've I feel been like used, my I've been body's been for, prepped for this winter. I've been sick for almost a month now, probably because I made a mistake of traveling for almost three weeks. Yeah. That was such a big mistake. I got sick while traveling, too. And then you have so, a kid. Yeah, they're always sick. They're always, they're always sick. Always they're sick always dirty. dirty. Yeah. The hands, man. Talked about moist kids the other day. Just <laughs> transmitting everything. <laughs> That's all right. So tell us uh, what's going on in the test bed today. The Steve. test bed. Um, so we're done cutting the dial. The watch dial, the the brass watch dial that I've been working on for the past few months, yep. for the better part of this year, honestly, um, it hasn't really been at the center focus of the test bed for uh, the blog this sure. year. But um, I've been toying with the idea and I finally got to cutting it because it wasn't comfortable with cutting brass. Mm -hmm. As I told you guys last time, totally comfortable with cutting brass. Now I'm having my confidence in uh, cutting brass. Got the speeds and fees dialed in properly. Um, but we're all done cutting the dial. The awesome. dial, brass dial looks great. That's good. Um, the This week's step was removing the brass dial from the Delrin soft jaw, yep. which was adhesed to it using super glue, or in, as chemists would call it, which is our new word to pronounce, <laughs> cyanoacrylate. I'm not going to try. <laughs> cyanoacrylate. Yeah. I, I guess that, I don't know. I don't know how to say it quickly. I'm still slow on it. But in industry, it's used common. Yep. Super glue is used common, but they don't want to use the consumer term super glue as much. So they call it CA. CA. Um, so I'm, I'm working on, I've worked on, I've already done it. I've, I've debonded the, the, uh, the CA from the brass and the Delrin, more so from the Delrin than the brass. The super glue really likes to stick to brass. Yep. Did a great job adhesing to the, adhesing to the brass. Um, strangely, you know, being that it's a polymer or at least a plastic, it it broke free from the Delrin really easily. Right. Which now that I'm thinking about it and, and realize that it stuck to Delrin, um, Delrin's a self-lubricating hard plastic. Ah, uh, sure. So that's probably why it broke free a sure. lot easier. Now, okay, now it clicks. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, the next step for... Um, the brass dial is cleaning it up. Okay. There's still a lot of uh, super glue on it. Yep. Um, and not only does it need to be cleaned up from the super glue, but to debond the CA from the brass and the Delrin, I used acetone. Okay. That's the 
the most common industrial chemical to uh, debond super glue sure. from stuff. It smells great. Um, <laughs> um, it's safe to use on brass. Yep. So I made sure to check that first. There's okay. a bunch of debonders yep. that you can use and solvents that you can use for sure. CA. But uh, acetone, I've determined, was the best one because A, it's the most common and least expensive. Right. B, it's safe to use on brass because it can actually be used to polish brass. Not that easily, however, because after debonding um, the brass dial from the Delrin soft jaw, um, it, it looks a little murky. Oh, sure. Um, so, missing that shine. Yeah, it's missing the shine. So I'm going to try some Brasso sure. later this week or next week to yep. clean it up. Um, and once I'm sufficiently cleaned it enough and once the super glue is mostly removed, uh, that's when we'll put it into the watch nice. and we'll be all done with that. How's it feel? That's your first production piece because you have a customer, Russ, who wanted yeah. a watch dial. You produce your first production piece. That's pretty awesome. It feels great. Sure. Um, it, it's it's a weight off my shoulders, but it's also <laughs> like a huge confidence builder. Okay. Uh, this is something that I've wanted to make too, not just Russ. Sure. And I finally did it. It took yep. long enough. Um, and I'm really proud of the final product. It's by no means perfect. Sure. Um, some people probably wouldn't even say the final product is good, mm-hmm. but it's decent. Sure. Um, but it, I'm, I'm proud of the final uh, result. And I, I think it looks pretty great. Awesome. Good job. Doesn't need to be. Thank you. Um, so uh, we have a couple articles today. And uh, the first one I want to talk about, actually, I pulled research on um, it's titled Multifunctional Application of Synthetic Ester to Machine Tool Lubrication Based on MQL Machining Lubricants. MQL. Let's unpack that title. MQL, son. Let's yeah. we'll start up minimum quantity lubrication, yes. one of Ben's favorite <laughs> topics. When I first joined AMT. Kids been talking about MQL <laughs> forever. We need more MQL. Rumor has it in, uh, there's a lot more acceptance of MQL. There's a big demand. Yeah. Um, it's kind of starting in Europe, and I think the U.S. is picking up quite a bit. So minimum quantity lubrication. You want me to describe it? Do you know what it let is? Me, let me start. Why don't and you, you start? just correct me where I'm wrong. Do it. Um, we're, we are used to... Uh, seeing a lot of like YouTube videos of you know, some machining operations. And while before, like as the tool's about to go into the stock, you just see the machine um, spraying a bunch of coolant lubricant, just machining fluids onto both the tool and the workpiece simultaneously. And just fluids going everywhere. Um, it's a huge mess, and you see those. What are those uh, circular windows that spin at like eighteen thousand <laughs> RPM, so the window yeah. stays clean, so right. you can see the, uh, the 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 piece being cut. You know, there's just there's so much fluid being sprayed everywhere, and, and just just hosing down yep. the workpiece and the tool. It's called flood coolant for a reason. F- exactly, it's it's right. flooding the uh, the workpiece. Right. Um, Certainly, there you 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 can be more efficient and a little bit more economical. With the amount of coolant and and fluids being used, sure. So I take it that's where MQL comes in, mm-hmm. and using the minimum quantity, instead of spraying it and flooding your workpiece and tool, it instead like uses a, a mister, almost yeah. like an atomizer, mm-hmm. sure. um, to get just the right amount onto the uh, the workpiece. Yeah, that's right. That's a really good explanation of flood coolant itself. So flood coolant, uh, you're flooding the tire. Yeah, it does get recirculated. Mm-hmm. So it goes back into sure. the tray. You have to add water. Sometimes it uh, evaporates and um, the concentration gets screwed up. You add water, you add coolant, you're constantly balanced that. But it gets used back in the machine and it's flooded again. And MQL, exactly that, where it's basically spraying a fine mist right at the cutting interface to provide 
lubrication and some sort of level of uh, coolant also. Mm-hmm. But it's right at the cutting cutting uh, uh, interface. Okay. Um, and they can spray it a lot of different ways. They can use external nozzles. Okay. Um, or through tool cooling uh, or, or, or fluid. Usually not. Um, I have seen a couple applications like that. Not for a minimum. No, quantity. no, because okay. the spray is so fine that it's hard to... Uh, Get that fine spray oh, right at yeah, the tip. yeah, Because um, you would need to really push it through there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, now uh, flood cooling, you will see uh, through uh, through the spindle, through the tool coolant, uh, real high pressure, like especially for drilling. That mm-hmm. probably works really well. Um, but yeah, so what they're doing is an uh, interesting example of, one, using uh, the concept of minimum quantity lubrication as a catch-all for using that one liquid for everything that's on the machine tool. So they're talking about uh, subtractive manufacturing, a CNC mill, lathe, where you could have the illustration they have your you have your slideways, you have your hydraulic system, you have your spindle bearings, and if you're using MQL, those are like four different fluids that you could have for running one machine. What they're interested in using is just let's just use one for all of them, one fluid to rule them all. Sure. So what they are proposing is using the starting point of what's the best fluid for MQL. And then making minor modifications okay. to use in other applications on the machine tool itself. Now they're not saying it's gonna all draw from the same right. re- reservoir. Uh, there are some sep- there are th- some things that need to keep separate. For example, uh, like the spindle does have a little bit of air that gets accumulated into it, so they have to have an air or oil separator, and then it gets circulated back in. An AOSR. And then everything consumed at the cutting edge is consumed. You lose that basically. Mm-hmm. Now uh, a couple of things to keep in mind that most. The common theory is if you lose it, I need 55 gallons to last me a week. No, you actually go through like five or six gallons maybe in a month or two months. Depending no on, way. It's you go that through, more economical? Yeah, you go through very, very, very little uh, if you have that uh, process down correctly, dialed down Now, correctly. is there a recirculation and recycling with MQL like there is with flood or is it? Not really. You, you don't so need little. to. No, you're, you're, no, you're, you're, you don't. Okay. I mean, if anything, you're just cleaning up the part afterwards. And everything gets stuck on the rag. I mean, right. there, there may be some residue uh, in the machine itself. Um, you probably have to, you probably will still keep some of the um, coolant uh, drain stuff because mm-hmm. you're gonna have to wash it down because the oil is could be sprayed in a couple of places. Right. But in general, there's very little that can be reclaimed. I I, I see. I think I see one um, a downfall, one flaw with MQL. Sure. Which is unlike unlike flooding, you can have a line of of coolant or or, or uh, lubricant uh, flooding the workpiece and tool, and you can have another uh, line um, pushing high pressure air sure. to remove chips from the workpiece. Uh-huh. Can you use a compressed air line along with MQL, or would that interfere too much with the fine mist spraying? The, no, it, uh, it depends on the arrangement. Depends how far the okay. nozzle is from the tip and overall cutting geometry because if you have a really really deep cut you know you could be spraying further away than you want to be right so you know sacrificing some of the uh, trade-offs there yeah um the high pressure air to get rid of the chips could be an issue but Mm -hmm. it all depends on the configuration but but it wouldn't affect the cloud uh, Uh, no no the pattern no I noticed they actually use, um, having watched a few MQL videos, they actually use the term patterning. Yes, a lot. absolutely. So you pattern your 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 miss. Yes, the exactly. The way you would pattern a shotgun. <laughs> you know? It always comes back to a shotgun. It has to. <laughs> so, uh, uh, spoiler: I'm going to jump to the conclusion of the uh, research paper. Okay, let's hear it. And they're pretty. It's a pretty good paper, and it's very interesting. It's from 2004. Uh, Yes, 2004, so it's a little bit dated. Whatever. And all the research comes from uh, different companies in Japan that was um, published through SERP. Uh, so I'll quote the, their um, conclusion at the end. Uh, let's see. The excellent performance in MQL machining 
uh, the probable probable potential in spindle bearing lubrication and the practical sufficient lubrication abilities for both hydraulic and slideways application compared to individual commercial lubricants. So they're saying it worked, basically. Now what they did is they did add, take the basic um, MQL um, uh, oil or MQL uh-huh. fluid, and they did add a couple of compounds to it to enhance some of the lubrication capabilities and the other applications. They said, the other applications being on the spindle on the bearings. Machine, yeah, exactly. And, okay, yeah. so not just the workpiece in this case. Correct. But, but they're able to come up with one yeah. fluid that worked in all the applications. Wow. And they got positive results. So they feel that this is very practical use and they think there's a lot of potential. So hopefully in the next couple of years as MQL continues to become popular, the end use as the manufacturer, uh, maybe some of their manufacturing technology creators will look at this paper again and say, okay, let's do one fluid to rule them all instead of yeah. uh, having... 30 different drums of uh, fluids for your machines. Fascinating. That was pretty cool. So uh, what what uh, article did you find this week? So didn't find an article this week, okay. but um, a little bit of buzz has been going around, so I figured I had to mention it. But our very own chief technology officer here at AMT, Tim Shinbara, got to what was lucky enough to attend um, – the NFL's helmet challenge. If you notice, he didn't delegate that either. He didn't delegate that because, <laughs> because it's such a cool thing, man. It he is. wanted to go to it. We're like prime mid-season NFL. Sure, yeah. Uh, and he got to attend this, which is so yep. cool. But let me talk about what happened there. Yep. So the NFL helmet challenge is put on by both the NFL and co-hosted by um, uh, the America Makes, okay. which is one of the uh, the institutes. Yeah. Um, and... They got people from all over the world, anywhere from like, you know, UK and, and Australia to, uh, off, of course, all over uh, North America um, for the NFL. Um, but uh, some of the key players at this uh, this helmet challenge were uh, Riddell, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the major uh, helmet company for the NFL. Yep. And Riddell was partnered really big with um, uh, Carbon 3D, cool. who, you know, you and I have heard of, obviously. Yeah. Um, and... Carbon 3D kind of threw together a special, not threw together, they engineered a specialty uh, FPU, flexible polyurethane, Mm. um, that was specifically designed to take certain impacts and disperse energy over a larger surface area, kind of like, I guess, the non-Newtonian material D3O a little bit. Um, But uh, they, uh, it's a a specialty, it's not their um, off-the-shelf compound. Right. Um, But... Yeah, they've they've been using this material with uh, additive manufacturing to make these really advanced modern helmets. And um, what I didn't realize, even though this research was recently published, the publish the publication of all this all this work is recent. um, But apparently, already hundreds of players throughout the NFL are already using these helmets with this specialty material. Yeah, it's wild. That's pretty wild. Yeah, we were discussing this earlier in the prep, and then. I mentioned, you know, all the different shapes and uh, configurations of you're seeing on the shell. Mm-hmm. But they're talking about the application of the layer the between the shell and the head, yeah. basically. So it's not just is, those those white pads in there anymore. No, no. They'll always fall out. Did you ever play any uh, football? Any no, yoga? no, look at me. Those helmets were the worst. So I played, let's see, how long ago was this? Back in 90, 98, I played for high school football. Mm-hmm. And putting on the, the helmet for the very first time, is an eye-opening experience of how uncomfortable those things were back then, how compressed those padding, those pads already were, and how little comfort and how little uh, shock uh, absorption that they had. Really? Back then. Yeah. I mean, for me, it did. I, I rather I would rather taped a pillow to my head and played. Yeah. 
Didn't feel all that, that bad. Good. No, not to me. I mean, got experience with a motorcycle helmet now, but never a <laughs> football helmet. No. Yeah, it was an interesting experience. So that's good. <coughs> uh, the next art, uh, research paper I have is uh, on modular design for increasing assembly automation. So this article talks about um, designing the part itself to be able to produce through um, a new automation process. Not a, a brand new, but if you're implementing an automation or an automated assembly line, what do I need to do on the design to facilitate an automated process? So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so they talk about a couple of things. There's a couple of key uh, elements I wanted to talk about or bring up in this. They use a couple of tools on the design part of, uh, on the part itself. So in this case, they have uh, furniture. So the use case that they have is um, wooden furniture, but it's modular design. And a couple of tools that they talk about, one is uh, DSM, uh, Design Structure Matrix. It's a cool tool that they use for decomposing products in functional forms and elements, then analyzing the interactions between elements to conclude uh, and conclude by clustering the components. So basically they're defining what the component is, what is it supposed to do, and this whole family of parts. So I've got like, you know, say a thousand different sofas, different type of sofas I want to make. Takes all those components, defines their interactions with each other, and says these are all similar together. The this other group is similar. For example, like the hand rest, foot rest, that type of stuff. So that's one tool that I found very useful, um, especially if um, companies are interested in the concept of production lot size one, being able to go from uh, you know large volumes to single volumes, is being able to cluster their parts together so they can get uh, effective lot sizes. Uh, the other tool I wanted to mention was, of course, the House of Quality. Um, so it's a prioritizing um, product characteristics with customers most most with the customers most value. Uh, this tool gets underrated. It's it's a very very simple tool of prioritizing uh, a bunch of characteristics that you can provide to what is the most important to the customer. It's fairly straightforward and it's easy to do. Oh, kind of easy to do depending on how you approach it, and depending sure. on the product. Um, but what that sets you up to do is create a module module identification matrix um, that defines the customer needs into technical solutions. So then it transitions to, okay, we know what they like. Now let's convert that to what we can produce. Uh, and I thought those tools were pretty useful. Um, in the end, they were able to get to a uh, an assembled product line the, by grouping a series of products and defining a new automation process. Um, and they went through um, a return on investment analysis, too, on three different um, automation uh, tools. So overall, the, par- the paper's pretty solid in terms of providing a useful set of tools and a, a, a good framework for analysis for return on investment for creating a, uh, an assembly line and a trade study. I mean, they analyzed three different scenarios. So it's a really good paper. Uh, it's, uh, the title, again, is Modular Design for Increasing Assembly Automation. Uh, published in 2014. Oh, wow. So that was a lot more recent. A lot more recent. I try and keep it somewhat recent. Nice. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to talk about was nanotechnology, boy. <laughs> Nanomachines. <laughs> <laughs> I found this really interesting when they were talking about uh, nano, uh, nanotechnology. One, the this um, nano.gov, it's a government um, no way. initiative uh, furthering the research and development of nanotechnology. Um in, into uh, um, uh, actual uh, production environment. So what they're doing is they're creating a new a nanotechnology entrepreneurship network, a new community of interest to support entrepreneurs interested in commercializing nanotech. So this is fairly interesting to me that 
one, there there already is a pretty robust uh, network that the government's funding, and also that they're really interested in developing basically startups to um, create new technologies to get commercialized. So it shows that uh, nanotech is on the rise. We're going to see some really interesting... Uh, what are the typical nanotechnology applications so far? Uh, that varies a lot. So it goes from, you know, coatings, which would be your, your most common, gotcha. to med- small medical devices, um, you know, nanobots are you know, down the stream type technology. So the spectrum of the things that are available from nanotech is really, really broad. Basically anything that's small, right? So it could go from computing equipment to uh, medical devices. Wow. So I thought that was really interesting. So Steve, uh, tell me what's uh, coming up on the test bed. Um, Coming up in the test bed is just, uh, you know, like, like I mentioned earlier, it's just cleaning up the dial. Um, uh, to make it bring back the luster, the freshly machined luster that we had on it uh, when it came out, when it, when I finished cutting it, yep. and then getting it mounted in the uh, in the watch, like I said before. Um, but other than that, what's what we're I'm really looking forward to for the end of the year is um, I heard back from U Factory, oh, and they they apologized for the lack of communication, <laughs> sure. and they said uh, we should be shipping your robot out December 1st. Wow, that's exciting. So, I mean, yeah, it's exciting. I'm not going to hold my breath, sure. I'll be honest, you know, because with the amount of uh, supplier uh, issues that, that China has been facing with their uh, automation deliveries mm. uh, or their robot deliveries, yep. um, yeah, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to hold my breath, but <laughs> I'll know I was a good boy if Santa delivers it early this year. Sure. <laughs> that's pretty solid. <laughs> <coughs> Excuse me, sorry about that. Yeah, it's all right, man. So the next episode, uh, we'll hopefully get an update. Hopefully, hopefully, it'd be amazing if we could physically hold it. I'll hold it during the podcast, and we'll have we'll talk about it. Yeah, then. I hope so. And then uh, we'll have our uh, end of year wrap up. I think we'll have a holiday special uh, since next episode <laughs> will be our last one for the year because we're gonna have um, end of December will be shut down. It'll be closed. And I'll be on vacation. I'm sure. Yes, sir. Got to burn vacation before I lose it. Um, that's right. So that's awesome. So. Uh, so for more news and research, where can we? Where can they find more info on us, Steve? They can find more info on you on LinkedIn. Yep. and me. You can follow me in the uh, amateur, the uh, <laughs> adventures of an amateur machinist at uh, swarfysteve.blogspot.com. Awesome. All of that information is in the description below. And today's episode was again sponsored by the MT360 conference. If you want to learn more about transformative technologies and the future of manufacturing, check us out at mt360conference.com. See you, everybody. Bye, everybody.